Once again, we are looking at John chapter 17 from the subject, Chasing After Your Father's Heart. That is uh, one of the things that all of us need more of in our life. We need to have hearts that run after our Father's heart. Uh, Jesus Christ is the, uh, the perfect picture and portrait of that. He always did the things that were pleasing to his Father, he said on occasion in John chapter 8. Everything Jesus ever said on earth, everything Jesus ever did on earth, was but an expression of the Father's heart, the Father's desire, the Father's design. On one occasion, uh, Jesus said in John 12, and Jesus cried out, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. And Jesus in these verses is not claiming uh, to be a robot or claiming to have no identity. No, he's claiming that, that he is so in sync and so in tune with his Father. I and the Father are one to such a degree that everything he says and everything he does is but an expression of his Father's sayings and his Father's deeds. They're, they are of one mind in his whole ministry. And that's what, that's what your Father in heaven wants for you and wants for me. He wants us to have uh, the mind of Christ. He wants us to have one mind with himself in an increasing way. We'll never perfect it, but he wants us to be always moving in that direction of thinking his thoughts after him, as many have said, and, and living a life that reflects his heart. Um, Jesus, more than anyone else in the whole history of, of humanity, uh, has had the, the most positive effect in this world uh, than anybody else ever did and ever will. No one will ever match uh, the goodness that Jesus uh, shared with this world. There's no one else who will ever do it better than Christ. And so he is the image of the, of the invisible God, and, and, and we are created in that image. And so he is the one that we are supposed to be following. There's no one else worthy of our uh, uh, follow, um, worthy of following, but Jesus Christ. Uh, he, is, he is the one that we should be seeking to follow. And so in this prayer... Um, so that we would be useful in this world, so that we would be productive in society, so that we would be uh, agents of change in this world. We want to look at what Jesus is thinking. What on earth are you thinking, Jesus? What on earth is on your heart? Uh, that's what we want on our heart. That's what we want in our minds. It, it should be, and God help it to be. Let's look at John 17, verse 13. But now I am coming to you. And these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also 
may be sanctified in truth. Now, in this, uh, this section of, of Jesus' prayer, we see uh, many things. In verse 13, Jesus, again, um, is saying that he's, he's going out of this world. He, he said this early on in the prayer, and he's, he's saying, I'm leaving the world. And, um, and, and the knee-jerk knee response of the believer is, oh, Lord, take me with you. <laughs> Don't leave me here. But, um, but he's saying, I'm, I'm leaving, I'm going out of this world by way of the cross and by way of the empty tomb. And I've said some things to these people. And he's not just talking about the prayer. Remember, we're in a context. The context is chapter 13 through chapter 17. And, and he said some things to his disciples. And here's the reason why. He says, because I want my joy fulfilled in them. That's what Jesus says. I want my joy fulfilled in them. That's what Jesus wants for you. He wants you to be joyful. He wants his apostles at that time to be joyful. He wants the same thing for you. He wants his joy, his joy, not just joy, his joy fulfilled in you. Now, what on earth is he talking about? Um, he wants you to be happy. Um, maybe that's a part of it. But, but what's really going on there is something much, much stronger than mere happiness. And if you turn back to chapter 15... Um, you find exactly what Jesus is wanting from, from us. Uh, in chapter 15, remember in chapter 15, verses uh, 1 through 17, Jesus is talking about how he's the true vine and his father is the vine dresser. And every branch, he wants his branches to bear fruit in him. He wants, wants us to abide in him and he wants to abide in us. He wants his word to abide in us. Apart from him, we can do nothing. Um, we can't we can't bring glory to the Father. We can't bear fruit, but he wants us to bear much fruit. And, um, and this is what he says in John 15, verse 9. Uh, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, did you hear that in verse 11, how he said in verse 11 the same thing he said basically in chapter 17, verse 13? He talks about his joy being fulfilled in us and that our joy being made full. And that, that joy comes in a context. It comes in the context, number one, of being loved by him and us loving one another as he loved us. That's the context. Now, now he loving us has a backdrop. It, you, you can remember, I'm sure, that when Mary uh, came and visited her relative Elizabeth, who was pregnant with John the Baptist, and Mary was pregnant with Jesus, two pregnant women get together, watch out, there's going to be, there's going to be some serious conversations. But, but, but Mary came and she greeted Elizabeth, and Elizabeth said, by the Holy Spirit, so you know she wasn't just, it wasn't her imagination, it was real, she said by the Holy Spirit, the baby in my womb, John the Baptist, leap for joy 
upon hearing your greeting. And so, so, so then you, you fast forward, and John is now out in the desert preaching the gospel, the kingdom of God, and, and then Jesus shows up, and, and John says, um, <clears throat> I rejoice because I hear the bridegroom's voice. You see this in John chapter 3, verse 29. I rejoice because of the bridegroom's voice, and now this joy of mine is complete. His joy is full because he heard the bridegroom. Now, what was John's ministry? John's ministry was calling people to repentance, calling people to turn away from sin, turn back to God, and come under the authority of God, be restored under the reign of God, and respond to the, the love and the lordship of God. And so, so the bridegroom comes on the scene. He, he's, he's, he's the husbandman. He's the bridegroom, and his wife has been unfaithful. His wife has been adulterous uh, spiritually. And, and, and the bridegroom has come. He has come not to stone her, but he has come to call her back home again. It's, 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 it's Hosea the prophet all over again. And here comes the prophet, uh, the bridegroom. He comes to call his bride home with overtures of love. And that's what it says in John 15. Abide in my love for you. Is what, is what the sense is. The Father has loved me, and, and I have loved you. Abide in my love. And, and, and Jesus says, the way you do this is by responding to the fact that I love you, by loving one another. And in that context of, of resting and rejoicing in the bridegroom's love for you, and then reflecting that love of the bridegroom to one another, it's in that context that the joy of Jesus is fulfilled in you, and, and your joy becomes full. That's what Jesus is referring to. That's what he's praying for in John 17. He's praying for a community, a loving community, a community that loves one another because they have been loved by him. We love because God first loved us. We don't, we don't love so that God will, will like us more. We don't love so that God will save us. We love because we've been saved. The bridegroom has called us home and has covenanted with us. And because of that loving, steadfast love of Jesus Christ that reveals the Father's love, we turn to one another and we love one another as Jesus has loved us, it says in John 15, 12. Greater love has no one this than someone lay down his life for his friends. That's the kind of love that Jesus loved us. He, he gave up his life for us. And we're called to do the same towards one another. And Jesus says it's when you do that, that his joy will be fulfilled in you. And so, so that's the prayer that we have. That's the application that we have, is that we would rest and rejoice in the bridegroom's love. And we would reflect that love to one another and experience the joy of Jesus fulfilled in us. That's the first point. Verse 14 uh, goes on um, to explain that, that he says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Now, that's a profound thing to say, that, that we are not of the world the same way Jesus is not of the world. And what that means is John chapter 3. We've been born again. We've been born from above. It's often funny when people say, I'm a born-again Christian. Well, I didn't know there was any other type of person but a born-again. 
If you're born again, it means you're a Christian. If you're a Christian, that must mean you were born again. It's, it's a redundancy. I'm a born-again Christian. You're born again. You're born from above. That means you've been born by the Holy Spirit. You've been recreated. You're a new creation in Jesus Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Jesus on occasion said that of himself when he was speaking to Nicodemus. He, he, he said in John chapter 3 that, that, that a person must be born again. And, uh, and Paul picks up on those themes in Ephesians chapter 2 and says, You've been saved by grace through faith, not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works, as anyone should boast. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we've been created in Christ Jesus, which is better recreated in Christ Jesus. We've been created again. We, we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. That's the sense of it. And, um, and that is why, it says in verse uh, 14 of John 17, that is why the world uh, does not uh, love us. The world hates us. The world hated the apostles, and the world hates you. And the reason why um, is because of this new birth, because we're not of the world just as much as Jesus is not of the world. Now, we see this developed a little bit more Again, back in John chapter 15, if you turn there and you look at verse 18, it says, if the world hates you, John 15, 18, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Now, that's the first reason that Jesus gives why the world hates his apostles, why the world hates you, is because he chose you out of the world. He chose you out of worldliness. He chose you not to live a worldly life. He chose you uh, to, to repent, to turn away from the things of the world. We see this um, developed a little bit more also. We're going to go back to John 15, but if you... Uh, may recall in First Peter, First Peter chapter four, um, it says in verse three, "For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery." Debauchery is a word that means moving away from the law of God. And, and they malign you. And so there you have the hatred, um, as Peter talks about it. <clears throat> the world hates uh, the apostles. The world hates you, the follower of Christ. And they're surprised that you don't indulge in the lust of the flesh. They're surprised that you don't indulge in the lust of the eyes. They're surprised that you don't indulge in the pride of life and in the pride of possessions and all of the things that were mentioned in that passage. And it says, they're not only surprised that you don't do this, they malign you. They speak ill of you. They hate you because you're not like they are. And, um, and so, you know, one of the questions that comes from this passage in John 17 is, is that true of you? Is it true, uh, looking in the mirror, 
Uh, is it true that you are simply not like the world in which you live? That you don't, you don't do the things that the world does? Because, because Jesus says that's why they hated his disciples. is because they were not like the world. They were chosen out of the world by Jesus. Um, and, and not only, that's not the only reason they hate uh, Jesus. If you go on reading back in chapter 15 of John, um, it says um, all these things in verse, this is in verse, uh, this is in verse 21 now of John 15. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. Um, and so you see, this is another reason why they hated Jesus, another reason why they hated the apostles, is because Jesus said some things to them, and he did some things before them, and, and those things uh, made the people hate him and hate the apostles and hate you. And so this, this, this brings in two elements. Number one, Jesus spoke to them about their sin. That's another thing. It's not simply that Jesus took them out of the world and, and they're not worldly anymore, but, but they said some stuff about the things that the world was doing. They said, you need to repent. You need to change. You need to come to Jesus. You need to turn away from those things. And because they said that to the world, the world hated them for saying it. And the world will hate you for saying it too. You know, you'll get two responses at least when you, when you share the gospel with people, they'll either repent and believe, which is what we're looking for, obviously, or they'll hate you and walk away, you know, or, or they'll hate you and may do something to you. But the point is they hate because you, their sin is exposed and we don't like to be exposed. But in order for there to be healing, there has to be exposure. And, and the third thing, it says that Jesus did some things and, and, and when they saw those things, that also was a form of hatred for them. That, that's the reason why they hated him. And that, that brings in our character, which we'll talk about a little bit later, Lord willing. But, but not only did they weren't worldly, they were righteous. They were righteous. Jesus was always righteous. He did what was right. And, and the simple act of doing what's supposed to be done is an affront to someone who's not interested in doing what's supposed to be done. You know, it says that, that, that Cain hated his brother Abel because Abel's works were righteous and his weren't. And the fact that Abel was righteous made Cain hate him more. You know, Cain made himself hate him more, but the point is that that was one of the things that, one of the reasons why Cain hated him. And it's the same reason why they hated the apostles. It's the same reason why they'll hate you is because um, Jesus gave you his word and, and the word of God has an impact. The word of God is not, is not stagnant. It's alive. It, it has power. It changes a person. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, that the precious promises, the great promises of God are able to enable you to participate in the divine nature. It doesn't mean that you become God, but it means you become godly. The promises of God can make you godly. And not only that, they can, they can, they can not only 
cause you to participate in the divine nature, but to escape the corruption in this world caused by sinful desires. So not only can they make you more godly, they make you less worldly. And, and the word of God is powerful. And, and Jesus never gives his word to his people so that they will say nothing. Jeremiah was one who said, your word in my heart is like a fire shut up in my bones. And it wasted him to try to hold it in. He had to speak. Um, the apostles, you may recall, said that we can't help but speak in the name of what we've heard and what we've seen. Um, so the word of God that was given to the apostles in John 17, 14, uh, led them not only to uh, not be worldly, but also be righteous, and also be righteous in the sense of being just by speaking the truth of, of Christ, speaking, speaking about Jesus to the world. So those three things uh, became the reason why the world hated them. They were not worldly, they were righteous, and they told the world that they were worldly and needed to be righteous, and they needed Jesus to, to accomplish that, and they didn't like it. They were hated because of that. And so, so in light of this, um, we go to verse, um, verse 15, which says, um, I, do not, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one, or keep them from evil. Um, and you know, when you think about this, these two verses, 14 and 15, the world hates them. Um, you know, you think, well, Jesus, you're leaving the world. Why don't you take me with you? They don't like me either. But, but Jesus says, he prays, I don't want you to take them out of the world. And, and because if you take away the church, the church is, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Without the church, this, this world is dark as it is. But you take the church away, it'll be pitch dark. There won't be any light here. And, um, and so Jesus says, I don't want you to take them out of the world. The world needs the church. The world needs you. It needs the light that God has made you to be. And it needs you because you are salt. You're the salt of the earth. And you know the imagery there, obviously, in the, old, in, the, in, the, in the ancient Near East, they didn't have refrigerators and freezers. And the way they preserved things is by covering them with salt. And it kept things from rottening and from going stale and from going, getting, going bad. And, and the world needs, you know, this is, this is the July 4th weekend and people are barbecuing. And if you really want your barbecue to taste good, you've got to get a, a, a rub Right? You've got to take the seasoning and you've got to rub it in the meat and let it sit and soak in there. That really brings out the flavor. And God is saying that you're the salt of the earth and he wants to rub you in to the earth to bring the right flavor, the right aroma that the world is supposed to have. And so, so you're the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And, and because of that, Jesus does not want to take you out of the world. And you should, this should be our prayer. This is Jesus's prayer. And it should be our prayer that our joy would be filled, that, that, that we would be so identified with Jesus, not being worldly, being righteous, and speaking, about, speaking to the world about not being worldly and being righteous through Jesus Christ, that the world hates us, that we are so identified. The apostles rejoiced when they were beaten because they were beaten for the sake of Jesus. 
because they had so identified with him that the world treated them the same way they treated Jesus. And they rejoiced about that. It's something we should seek in life. And not only that, but you see here in in verse uh, 15, Lord, keep me in this world. Don't take me out of this world until my time comes. You know, and and may, may we be faithful. May you be faithful in the world while you're still in the world. And, and, and the thing that Jesus prays here is keep them from the evil, keep them from the evil one. Preserve their witness. Because if the salt loses its saltiness, it's no good. It's, it's only good to be trampled under the foot of men. It's lost its, 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 its freshening and preserving effect. And may that never be true of you. May it never be true of me that we lose our saltiness. Um, Jesus wants us to remain salty in this earth. And in verse, um, uh, verse 16, he repeats himself. He repeats what he said at the end of verse 14. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And here he's emphasizing the, the righteousness of their character. As, as, we, um, as you see, as you go on to verse 17, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. In verse 14, he says that. And he talks about um, not taking them out of the world, uh, but, but keeping them from the evil one, keeping them from worldliness, from evil. But here he's saying, don't take, uh, I, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Um, and and, and what comes after that is sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. And um, the sanctification here obviously is talking about a growth in godliness, a growing to be more like Jesus Christ. That's what he's after. He wants us sanctified. He wants us clean. Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And, and, and we see that, that, that first, that second Peter 1 passage coming in, by your very great and precious promises, they participate in the divine nature and they escape the corruption in this, in this age caused by sinful desires. And, and, and that happens through the promises of God, the word of God. But what's interesting here is, is sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. You know, a few chapters earlier, you know that Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth. Jesus is the truth. And, and then a few, few chapters before that, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the Word of God. Jesus is the truth. All of the wisdom and treasures, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are, in, are embodied in, in Jesus. He is the embodiment of truth. He is the embodiment of the Word of God. And so what, what this is saying is that as you, as you read Scripture, as you handle the Word of God on a daily basis, I hope, as you handle that word, our aim, our goal in, in reading Scripture, all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, rebu- rebuking, and correcting, and training in righteousness. As, as we read that word, what is the purpose? The purpose is to be made more like Jesus Christ. He embodies the truth. He is the truth. He embodies the word. He is the word. And so our goal in all of our scripture reading, in all of our scripture study, is, Father, make me more like Jesus. When he says, sanctify them in the truth, thy word is truth, Jesus is saying, make them like, make them like me. Make them like your son. That's the goal of salvation, that we be conformed to the image, the likeness of Jesus Christ. He is the image of God. And we're created in the image of God. And he calls He's asking that we would be like him. 
Is that your prayer? Is that your daily desire from God? In everything that happens in this day, every moment of this day, Father, make me more like Jesus Christ. Is that your prayer? Is that really what you're seeking and after? Is that what you're really looking for the Father to do more than anything else? That's what it means to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The kingdom is the reign, the reign of God, that he would rule your life and that you'd live a righteous life like Jesus who loved righteousness and hated wickedness and therefore he had joy above everybody else because of his hatred for wickedness and his love for righteousness. Father, make us more like Jesus Christ. That should be our prayer, our daily prayer. We should seek God and long to be made like Jesus Christ. Paul said in the book of Galatians, how I'm, I'm in birth pains until Christ is formed in you. The apostle was in birth pains um, until Christ was formed in the people of God because that's the centerpiece of what God is doing in the life of a believer. He's making us more like Jesus. Um, so sanctify him in the truth. You know, this, this, you, can't, you can't have sanctification without the word of God, without the spirit of God. Is spending time in the Word of God. And, and again, we talked about this weeks ago. Some people have said, I don't have time to read the Bible. My life is just too busy. Um, you know, and, and that's a lie. You know, nobody is that busy. I don't care what you do. Nobody is that busy. Particularly in the 21st century, where there's all kinds of ways to hear the Word of God. CDs, MP3s, all kinds of ways. It's impossible for anybody to say that they have no time for the Word of God. Come on. Give me a break. <laughs> I may have been born uh, yesterday, but I stayed up all night, as someone said. Um, we, we need to spend time. And, and here's the thing. It, it's, not, it's, not, it's not supposed to be burdensome. You are coming to the bridegroom when you read the scripture. You're hearing the bridegroom's voice speak to you. And that, that, that's the joyful part, is that here's my Savior speaking to me. And... Uh, Lord, just use the word to make me more like Jesus. Um, so, so we move on from there. Sancti sanctify him in the truth. Thy word is truth. And then in verse 18, as, as, um, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And this is where Jesus is aiming at, right? He wants us to be sanctified. He wants us to be holy. He wants us to be godly. He wants us to be less worldly uh, so that we will actually be effective in ministry. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, it says that if a man cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable purposes, a vessel of honor, useful to the master, ready to do every good work. Don't you want to be useful? Useful to the master. And that, that what it requires is a life of repentance and a life of faith Rooted in Jesus' love for us. Um, so that he might send us into the world the way the Father sent him into the world. That's what God wants to do. That's what, that's what needs to happen. The Father's heart needs to be sent into the world. And that, that heart is, is reflected in the life of his people. As it was perfectly reflected in the life of his son. Um, so he wants to send you. Uh, are you ready to go? And what's going to make you ready is a reality of, what, of, of the fact that 
that the Father sent the Son into the world. Well, why did he send the Son into the world? He sent his Son into the world to die. He sent his Son into the world to give up his life for you. He sent his Son into the world to atone for you. He sent his Son into the world to love you. And, and that, that, is the, that is the foundation, that is the incentive, that is the motivation for you saying, I'll go. You know, in Isaiah, when he was, saw the Lord high and lifted up, um, you notice in Isaiah chapter 6, he said, Woe unto me, I am a man of unclean lips, dwelling among a people of unclean lips. And that which fills the heart comes out the mouth. He says, My heart is unclean, is what he's saying. I need a new heart. And, and the angel came and touched his lips and said, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is atoned for. And then, and then upon, upon hearing that and realizing that, and, 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 and God said, well, now who will go for us? And, and Isaiah is, is it's as if he's leaping up down on his feet with his hands in the air like a, like a child in a classroom who knows the answer. And he says, here am I, send me. Well, what gave him that kind of motivation before he was mortified? Woe is me, but now here am I. You know, it, it was because, his, because, because he was a, his sins were atoned for. His iniquity was taken away. That's why he, that's why he got, the, got the fever, so to speak. I've got to go. I'm ready. It's the same thing with us. We have to get that kind of motivation, and we get that motivation at Calvary, realizing what what the Father has done for us. Here's, what, here's, what, here's how Paul said it in, in Philippians uh, chapter, chapter 3. You look at this in verse, um, um, verse 12. In verse 12 and following, um, it says, Not that I have already obtained it, uh, obtain this or I'm, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And so, so Paul is in this ministry. Paul is wanting to, uh, to, 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 to lay his life down the way Christ did, to share in the sufferings of Christ, to become like him in his death, and, 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 and to, to, to know the fellowship of, of the Father. And, and here's the reason why he wants it, the fellowship of the Son, rather. And here's the reason why he wants it, because he says, because Jesus, what Jesus did for him, in, in Philippians 3, verse 12 and 13 not that I have already obtained it or made perfect, but I press on to take to make it my own because, and here's the reason why, because Jesus Christ, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And so the picture is, you know, you have, you have Paul on this, on this highway to destruction, you know, trying to destroy the church. And, 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 and on a Damascus road, Jesus goes after him, right? He goes after him and he, he, he lays hold of, of Paul, and he lays hold of things for Paul. And, and Paul says, because that happened to me, because I've been gripped by grace, because of that, I will run this race, because I've been gripped by grace. And because Jesus laid hold of me when I was on the road of destruction, I'm going to press on to make whatever Jesus has for me my own. I'm going to run after him and, and make, make him my own and, and so forth. And so you see that uh, here in John 17, um, we, we're sent uh, into the world with the reality knowing that what, in the backdrop of us being sent is, is the Son being sent, and the reason for the Son being sent, it was for us, and His love for us, 
is what drives us out into the world. And so, um, lastly, let's look at this um, this last verse. And and for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. And so, so everything that we do uh, as, as a follower of Christ, our sanctification, our being sent, our joy is is all flows from the fact that Jesus um, willingly. Uh, consecrated himself for us. He set himself apart for us in the incarnation in all of his ministry as, as, uh, and for their sake I consecrate myself in order that they also may be sanctified in truth. The only reason why any of us will ever be sanctified will become increasingly righteous. The only reason why any of us will be set apart for God's purposes to be sent into this world, the only reason why any of us will ever stop being worldly is because there is a man who is also God, the God-man, Jesus Christ, who consecrated himself. He set himself apart for you. And, And everything in our Christian life is rooted on that reality. Jesus Christ consecrated himself for you. He set himself apart for you. It's an act of grace. It's an act of love. It's an act of mercy. It's an act of compassion. He set himself apart. He didn't have to do it. Um, uh, but, but, but he did it in obedience to his Father. When I say he didn't have to do it, it means that God from all eternity didn't have to create. He didn't have to, having created, he didn't have to redeem. But, but the fact that he created and the fact that he redeemed was his own decision to do so. It was his decision to do that. It wasn't as if he had a group of people on earth who were dying uh, to, 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 to meet God and, and just couldn't wait to meet him and just were in love with him. And God said, oh, all right, I'll, I'll come down. No, it was all initiated by God himself. Uh, it, was, it was God's decision. It was Jesus's willing decision to consecrate himself, uh, rooted in the commandment given to his father. Uh, he consecrated himself so that we might be sanctified, so that we might be separated by separated from sin, for God, by God, and for his purposes. And so um, all of our life is rooted in uh, the reality of the gospel, the reality of Christ having consecrated himself, and because of that, we're called to be sanctified in the truth. This is repeated in the sanctified in the truth. It's a call to be holy. He calls us to be holy, and he says, here's, here's, the, here's, here's, the, here's how that call to be holy can become a reality because Jesus consecrated himself in the truth. And, and, and what, what emanates from that holiness is the heart of the Father who, who goes out into this world to gather people to himself. You see that in the life of Jesus. You see it in the life of the Apostle Paul. You see it in the life of all of the apostles and disciples of Christ in the New Testament. How they, how they put their own life on the line. They consecrated themselves even as Jesus did so that other people might become followers of Christ Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can bring about sanctification. He's the only one who can really consecrate himself in the manner in which he did. But we are called to follow him in obedience, to love one another, give up our lives for one another, and together as a corporate body, lay down our life for other people to come to know Christ and his way of living. God bless you and keep you. Um, Chase after the Father's heart 
uh, all of your days and live a life pleasing to him because his son was sent to live, to die, to live again for you. Everything is rooted in Christ giving up himself for us and that in obedience to the Father's plan.